Welcome to the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player, and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon, and I'm the host of a Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every Toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Welcome to part three of our podcast, In Search of an Effective Literacy Program. And now on with the show. So I practice it by checking my own writing. I choose a new. So then when I'm writing I, as teacher and I've got that up on an anchor chart, good writers use commas when, blah, blah, blah. And then I, on another lesson I might teach another use of commas. There isn't one use. Mm. Well, one strategy for knowing where and when it goes. But then I'll have that on the anchor chart to say, you know, as you're writing, empower your own writing with the use of commas. That anchor chart is so, so powerful. Yes. And it's solidly there all the time that they can refer back to every day. Yeah. And do you know it's also giving students feedback? If we uh-huh. haven't had an opportunity to touch base with every child, you know, on a yep. roving conference, yep. but but if I've had a mini lesson and it's up there on that anchor chart yep. and they can feed back to themselves, you know, they can mm. look at that mm. and, and look at how they've used, let's say it's a comma, and look back and go, huh, have I used it that way? I can give myself feedback. I've never thought about an anchor chart being feedback, but it is. That's why they're so critical to be there. Yeah. Because we're keeping it visible and students need to be aware of what it is that they're doing mm. and they're then able to say, oh, wow, I'm just feeding back to myself that I've actually done that Hands up all podcast listeners that are currently using Anchor Charts. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, well done, guys. <laughs> oh, little public service announcement right here. Yeah. Not because I ever want to um, promote a particular resource, but we love A2 size Anchor yep. Charts and yep. it's great to have um, – Sorry, I know this is really off track, but mm. it's just that oh, we've no, come across... We're all about yeah. providing tools. Tools, and, yeah. yeah. Um, love how... Um, I know they cost a bomb, but the um, the A2 size flip charts that are on the triangular base, mm. the cardboard base, I think M3 produced those. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a big book stand in your class and you've and you want to have um, a big chart and, you know, like use it like a flip chart, mm-hmm. um, that's fantastic because it can sit on a, a bench or a desk 
and you can work with your students from you know the triangular base ones. Yeah, and so we'll put a link to that in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Um, if you have got a big book, you're not being vague, Sharon, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you are being explicit. I know. No, specific. It was uh, no. I'm not being specific at all. If I'd mm. have prepared myself, I would have been a bit more, mm. um, but um, not a bit more vague. Um, but also the A2 size um, butcher paper, you know, like a big book. Um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as there well. There is also, mm. yes. Um, oh, my goodness, office works. I still get confused between mm. office works and staples in America. Mm. Um, office works, I think they're fine. But if you are in America, go to staples. Staples. Mm. I don't know if they have them, though. Mm. But. Um, Office Works in Australia, well, our local one mm. has these A2 size. I think they're thirty pages. It's just butcher's paper, but if mm. you find some uh, markers that don't bleed through paper, it's great. And I think they're five ninety five. Mm. So that's so affordable. So affordable. And um, one of the schools that I'm working with has ordered three of those for every classroom teacher to get them started. Next year, one yeah. is their yep. reader's notebook for modelling, one is their writer's notebook for modelling, and one they can use uh, for, right. um, you know, might tear them out as anchor charts. Yep. But but I have to say, if you're someone that finds an anchor chart being up in the room, um, you don't have space for it, then have it in a big book and have it open to the page and make an anchor chart, not a new one every day. Keep adding to it so that you've got lots of things on that one chart. So students, whenever you're working or revisiting that, there's all this stuff, all this rich stuff students can use. And they can – it's like a checklist for them. It's a reminder. Mm. It's a mm. feedback. Feedback to myself. Yep. That's what I was trying to do today and I did it. Yep. Here's my example. Yep. Also helps with the share. Fantastic. Now another one. Um, be wary of the easy. What, yeah. What promises are being made for you? Yeah. Um, and I think that mm. sometimes can be it's curriculum linked. So. Oh yes. You're you're covered. You're covered. Don't have to worry about it. Yeah, Just do it. Yes. And you're covered. But be critical and wise about that. Yeah. Yeah. What parts of the curriculum is it focusing on? What parts does it ignore because we actually want something that's integrated? Mm -hmm. So if we're ignoring something, so if this is a resource that's ignoring something, it's got this but not that, um, you want to think about that. You want to think, Mm -hmm. right, okay, now, right, that was easy, it covered that, but now it's not covering that and then we start finding ourselves looking for another resource to cover that, that that one didn't cover, and then uh, we wonder how we're going to fit it all in. The uh, key sentence from uh, Rachel Gabriel, the wrong combination of programs or approaches can waste time, limit, and minimise student opportunity for learning. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So as soon as we... Hmm, are you saying that my little critiquing list... Links to Rachel's. I am. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. Um, yes. 
uh, yeah, as soon as we find ourselves going, oh, I've got to cover this, mm. I've got to cover that, so now I need something to cover that, something to cover this, something to do that, something to do that. And but they're then, all they're and, all separate. And then it's all separate. And what are the kids going to make of that? Yeah. Or what are our students going to make of that? What meaning are they getting from it all? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the amount of time some of this program uh, work, the amount of time it demands from the literacy block yeah. is all-consuming. Yes. I mean, you you've, don't have time for designing your own work. Yeah. So I, I do want to say there, though, that there are going to be some things – here I am, I'm talking about them as things again mm. – some things that are demanded of us in our schools and we don't have a choice, a choice around that. Yeah. But what we connect those things to can make a difference. Yeah. So if there is um, a particular program or resource we are being asked to use, I think as teachers it's really good for us to then start thinking, all right, so what is this, what's the intention of this resource or this program? What does it cover? What doesn't it cover? How can I bring that in as well at the same time to create some integration? And how can I keep the explicit instruction, the modelling, the explaining piece to a certain amount of time that's in balance to how much practice time they're now going to have with that very that, piece? That will make all the difference uh, yeah. The children having actual practice uh, yeah. in their own meaningful writing or reading yes. will make yeah. all the difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't want to sound like we're just saying, oh, well, if, you're, if you are being required to use some things that, um, you know, that we're just saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't be. We're not saying that. We know we absolutely know, mm, mm. but we can adapt once we can think through the process and think, you know, and and we will put Rachel's um, the link to the article mm, in, in the, the show, show notes mm. because this may be you might find this if you're a literacy leader in your school you might find this a useful piece to. Um, to look at and think about, if you're leading literacy in the school, to think about some of the things that are, you know, like what is working and where mm. are you finding mm. things challenging or where you are not seeing improvement in student outcomes or where you're... Maybe this will give a lens to thinking about some of the things that are in place or not in place, mm. but to think through this lens in a way that may give... Um, some insights. Mm. So in our project, the Be Brave project, many people have done that mm. where they've said, okay, we are, we are using this program or this approach. Right, now I'm looking at the big picture of my English block yep. and I'm seeing, right, this is focusing on this part of the curriculum I want to link it with that so that and I want to make sure there is application and transfer happening on that day at that time and so I'm limiting how much talk I'm doing 
to give mm. a little bit of talk and at least twice as much time for them to practice yeah. Yeah. and then for me to give feedback on how they're using it. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, Another one, is it explaining and demonstrating better than you can? Yeah. And, and you might feel that it is, depending on how much you know mm. about it, but then learn from what it is explaining and demonstrating so that you can do that specifically to meet your students' needs mm. right now at this time. And if it is explaining and demonstrating something better than you can, then then that's the opportunity to learn. Ah, so that's what, that's, mm. um, let's go back to the commas example. Yeah. You know, if it's explaining how to use commas um, in a way that I didn't know as much about. Mm. Learn from that. It's like yeah. professional learning. Yes, yes. And then next year yeah. when you do this again, yeah. you won't be relying on that yeah. program. You That's will have right. your own knowledge about yes. it to, to do but your own mini lesson. But I will say... Or mini lessons. ...that the demonstrating is important. We can sometimes default to I might find a YouTube clip that mm. explains something mm. but it isn't necessarily demonstrating how a reader or a writer uses it mm. in their own writing and reading yeah and so that demonstrating part that should be I think that that's always us yeah that's the professional that's mm. us out the front we're we're the one doing the demonstrating. And if we're not sure how to do it, if we think we're going to be vague, I really do need to learn a little mm. bit more about it before I... Except I haven't been a great example of that because I've been quite vague about some things no. here as we've been chatting. No. Does it allow an entry point for every child and not put a limit on where any child can go? No ceiling and so it values differentiation. Yeah, so that's one of our underlying principles that we talk that there should be an entry point for everybody. Mm. So if we're always coming from that stance of I've noticed and so therefore we are doing, then if we've noticed, we know, we will know exactly where the entry point is for our students and and to not limit. But, but there is um, good reason to... Go exploring in the literacy progressions or, um, you know, in a scope and sequence to know if we're saying no ceiling, then that should mean that we still know where it's possible for students to go. Mm. If we have it so open that nobody mm. knows mm. where that ceiling is <laughs> or what's up there, then it's still difficult for those students who who might already have this, but how do they take it further? Like what does it look like to go further with that? What does it look like to be better at that? What does it look like to be growing into that? Mm. So That's your knowledge about the curriculum. Yes, and yeah. so therefore there's challenge involved. It's the challenge of, oh, that's where I can go. So in wrapping up today, Sharon, um, I guess it's about asking critical questions when you're you know, asked to use a program or you're not sure where to look. Um, yeah, and I don't think we want to say that it's always that we're being asked 
to use something. No. And no. I think, you know, as teachers, as principal investigators, we are mm. we often do go looking for mm. I mean, I've always been looking for I think we started off by saying that to whom? Mm. Like what's the reliable um, resource that we could look at? What's the um, you know, mm. who are the researchers that give us um, you know, who are who are classroom based, who are or, you know, mm. who have tried these things out in classrooms. I think that's probably something we haven't really talked about today. Um, but that when we are looking for and I think that's what we're really driving here mm. is about we're all actually as teachers looking to grow as teachers, to grow in our own learning, to develop um, and and to be able to do that with a lens, I suppose, that asks us a bit like um, the Rachel Gabriel piece about, you know, it can, the wrong program or combination of approaches can waste time, limit and minimise student opportunity for learning. Mm. And I think that holds probably hold true for us as adults as well mm. or as teachers yeah. that, um, you know, we, wa- we want to keep our eyes on what's working, what's not working mm. for our students without thinking, oh, I'm just going to have to keep powering with this till the end of the year. And she talks about um, we can be scientific in our – uh, view of literacy, but she says science is about asking good questions and using those questions to find evidence or explanations that help improve an endeavour. Mm, so coming back, so she mm. called this article The Sciences of Reading Instruction and so she is positioning this as saying science is about asking good questions and that's where, when she talks about um, teacher as the principal investigator, she is saying that, like, that's a scientific approach then, that we are inquiring about the optimal balance of instructional practices and that as teachers, you know, we generate and analyse and synthesise and use data daily. Yep in both formal and informal ways and that's part of the investigator being the investigator and that's part of the science. Mm. Mm. And I love that she finishes off with um, three wrapping up points there. So in wrapping up, Rachel Gabriel probably is the best one to end off with here in saying so she um finishes well actually she doesn't finish the article but she actually um embeds in here three things that she thinks are core for us to be thinking about and they are is there a pattern based on language culture or skill level of students who are well served by your current curricular approach Mm. so she's actually asking us to think about so what we are currently doing and I like this as a piece. We've talked a lot about looking at a program or a something or mm. a thing. Mm. But she's also asking us to think about 
right, collectively. So at a school, so this is like whole school. If you're, if you are a school, and you're the principal, the leader in the school, really wanting to think about um, your current English curricula approach that you could think, is there a pattern based on language, culture or skill level of students who are well served by what you are currently doing? How would a rebalancing or reintegration of instruction help you better serve students that are not in this group? So if we think about who is served by what we're doing, who isn't served and is there a way to rebalance or reintegrate to serve all students. Then she talks about, and and this one, I simply love this second point because I just love how she is challenging us always to drive down the best for our students. Mm. And that is, the question is, are all students engaged in meaningful practice in reading? If so, so if so, Mm -hmm. are there ways you might make such practice even more engaging, more meaningful and more inclusive? So for whom isn't this yet working? For whom and... Who is the coaster? Who are those who are coasting at the moment? She's really laying down who the challenge. Is, mm. Yeah. Mm. And if and if we're saying, yep, they're engaged in meaningful practice, but but in what ways can we make that practice even more engaging, meaningful and, mm. and inclusive? Mm. Mm. That so spoke to me and so made me feel like this was so every child, every day. And, and then she says, if on the other hand, students are practising isolated skills without opportunities for integration or reading without building skills for more complex engagement, what missing instruction or opportunities for integration could you provide? Yeah. So... It's a real balance the, there, isn't it? Mm. Yes, yeah. So it's really getting us to look tight now mm. through this lens. And I think these three are big questions and good questions for schools or teams within a school mm. or classroom teachers yep. or leaders of literacy in any way. For those in Australia, in the appendix of the progressions where it talks about text complexity... We need to take a close look there because text complexity, and we'll do a podcast on text complexity because um, I'm feeling that this is an area where, where it's a next step for some people. So for that first part where it says, um, are students engaged in meaningful practice in reading and are there ways to make such practice even more engaging, meaningful and inclusive, I think we really need to look closely at the levels. There's five levels of complexity of text, foundation to 10, 
represented in the progressions and each stage of complexity is divided into a number of categories from vocabulary to content to language features and we need our eyes on that Mm -hmm. to be teaching, demonstrating, explaining how readers are working with more and more and more complex text Mm. with all its levels of wonderful vocabulary and um, language features and content. And and so if in answering that question you go, yep, our kids are engaged, but how can we do that in even more engaging, meaningful and inclusive ways? Mm. Diving into those text complexity um, pieces – is a really interesting place to go. Mm. So, But we're going to do a podcast on that. And in the meantime, if you haven't had a look at them, go into the um, literacy learning progressions in the Australian curriculum uh, or through ACARA. Or, and so that, and the text complexity is an appendices of the progressions. Or I have also reformatted each of those into a table really that shows all of those features of text um, and um, they're up on Teachific. Okay, I'll have a link to that in yep. the show notes. Yeah. Um, the last one, um, is this approach bearing fruit? Yeah, best question of all. This is the key question when weighing whether the literacy instruction approach you consider scientific and have been trying out is right for your students and teachers. Even if individual measures or skills show growth, ask whether all students are increasingly independent, engaged and flexible as readers and writers. And if not, why not? Big question. And I'm just thinking that was the very question I could have used last week with our Be Fearless people. Mm. And I'm bringing that question to the table. to us, yeah, at the beginning of next year. Fantastic. Rachel Gabriel does important work. She writes very accessibly. Mm. Um, we hope you've found some gems, gems, there some, there. some, um, some new questions, yep. some new lenses, um, yep. because it isn't just about the what we are using it's being it's it's looking through the lens of what this means right here at the end mm. Rachel Gabriel has um, shown in exactly the same way that we were talking about at the beginning you need to put children in the center yep. and right here is who which children who is well served by your current curricula are they engaged in meaningful practice and is this approach that we're using bearing fruit for our students? In, so in lots of different ways, yeah, not, so just, not just one way. Yeah, mm. so it's – and is it right for your students and teachers? Yeah. So I think she brings it back to the very core that we need to and I think where we started this podcast was saying – this is about our students, it's about teachers and it's about getting the very best yep. for, for the, both groups. 
Thank you very much, Sharon. And we'll wrap up there today. Thank you so much. But um, oh. key questions. We've already covered uh, in key question two, what's a good tool? Um, oh, yes. I've talked about text, text complexity, complexity and, and I'm bringing that as the tool yeah. today because um, I think that's a, a great place to go looking. And, of course, this reading by Rachel Gabriel yeah. is the other important yeah. tool for today. All right, key question three, Sharon. Uh, tantalising text that you've been using. Okay, so um, I'm not going to talk just about one particular text today, but about a little process that has become really a habit with one of the schools that I'm working with, and that's each week we are like we are always generating lists of books, and we're always thinking about what books do we want, what not books, tantalising texts. What what texts can we bring as read-alouds and into the classroom so they stay there that students can keep working with that cover a whole range of things? So last week, for example, we've now put in an order for next year for... I sent in a huge, like, collectively over... These last few weeks we've been saying, right, for receptions we'd love to have some more alphabet and, well, we haven't got any alphabet or counting books in there in the classroom. At year one, what would we like? Which authors would we like books on? Which series in year two would we love to have examples of? In year two, they're doing their persuasive writing pieces. What books will we have on stock to be the books there for um, for their work on persuasive writing, including I Want an Iguana and Dear Mr Blueberry and The Day the Crayons Quit and Hey Little Ants. And then in Year 3, where they're working on biographies, the collection of books that's being collected in there for what are the great tantalising texts that are biographies. Mm-hmm. Now, apart from... Um, telling you that there's two things that are important to flow out of that. One is, in all this list collecting and making, Teachific is going to, you're going to find that there's going to be a whole section there that's going to start listing, providing lots of these lists, not because they are the ultimate and the end game lists, but because they're starters. So I'm hoping that will be a useful um, resource. But there's something else that I want to say about tantalising texts that goes back to what we began with at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Began with at the beginning. Very funny, Sharon. Um, That in all cases, when these texts, when tantalising texts are being used, what we see children writing and what we hear them sharing, the language they're using is so much more tantalising than we could have ever got from any exemplar we wrote. Mm. So tantalising texts aren't just there to tantalise the reader, they're to tantalise the reader to read like a writer so they know how they can tantalise their readers. So we need we need to fill our we need to fill our lives and their lives with just those types of texts. Thanks, Sharon. 
Thank you, everyone, for being with us today. Um, it's been a really incredible podcast with lots Wonderful. of... Wonderful. Yeah, with lots of gems. Um, I'm not going to say teacher in another language today. I'm just going to say when I was in one of the, my New York schools, I had the honour of being called by one of the teachers. They saw me as a professor in honour of the profession because I, I didn't have the title of professor, but he thought because of the knowledge in the coaching that we were doing, I deserve the title of professor. And as principal investigators, let's farewell all our listening professors today. Yes. Thank you for being in the profession. Thank you, everyone. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit qlearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.